before end as well. Yeah. Testing, testing. Yeah, I can hear perfectly. If you can hear me, that's great. So, how are we doing today, Jay? What's what's happening? Ah, not too much. Moved offices yesterday, so we can have the place painted. I've got uh, this podcast and two others, or one other that I'm guesting on today. And also, you know, have to do my job at some point as well. <laughs> of course. But, I mean, I looked into it and, like, you seem like you've had quite a journey, like five years, creative agency. And, and for what I gather is you basically tell people what they're doing wrong with their advertising and their branding and getting people to follow them. Well, we do content marketing. So what we show people how to do is how to use stuff like podcasting or a number of other different you know, types of media, um, how to use that to market yourself. So I don't, you know, we, we, if we do anything with advertising, then we're going to create the video or the audio or something for the, for, for the advert. Um, we don't, we, we give people suggestions on what they should do with the strategy, but mostly it's about the content creation for us. Okay. What, what got you into being a content creator, like sort of advisor per se? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I like it. We've just swung straight in, huh? <laughs> Straight in there. Just that, like all nice and quiet. I dig it. Um, content creation for us was kind of, um, to be honest, probably more by mistake. We started a podcast creation, a podcast production company back sort of five years ago. And the reason being is because about a year before that, we had a podcast called How to Write a Tune. So I say we, that's me and my business partner, Tony. And we would sit down with musicians every week and talk about uh, how to write songs, basically. From that, we then created, uh, basically I realized that we could genuinely offer this service to other people. If he hadn't put a microphone in front of me, I would, I would never been able to podcast basically. So we started offering out as, as a service and then kind of de facto found ourselves in the, um, the back of a lot of sort of large companies where we were sat in the, in, in the marketing departments and we were the weird podcast guys. And more and more, we kind of saw things that people were doing incorrectly necessarily or not using the content to its fullest. So we'd be the first people to be like, hey, you know what you should do is X, Y, and Z. So we expanded from just doing podcast production to then to, uh, uh, video and design as a whole. Essentially, all the content, anything that anyone posts. Um, and from there, it's you know, kind of flourished into an international agency. So it just came about through accident, like you're doing this and you're like, oh, I really enjoy this. And boom, I'm getting paid a lot for it and people are using us and like you know what there's nothing else i'd be rather be doing for the rest of my life podcasting was just a, a real revelation for me like i say so the first time i'd ever even heard of podcasting my best mate and uh, someone i've been in a band with for nigh on 15 years plus now um said to me hey can you on tuesday i'm busy can you host my podcast and i was like cool sure but what's a podcast? So he sent me a couple of links and how to listen to a show, but I'd, I'd literally never even heard of it before. That first show that I hosted, which was called Allegibly a Podcast, um, and that ran for like three and a half hours, real proper like podcast. And I loved it. I thought it was just fantastic. Um, but I just would never have found it or had anything to do with it had he not kind of like put it in front of me. This that just kind of kicked off in my head. Like I'm the perfect person to really enjoy podcasting. It's, it's a great medium for me. Um, but I just wouldn't have been able to do it with it. And especially five, six years ago, because the tech was hectic. It wasn't easy at all. Like it wasn't just clicking your podcast is live. There was a whole mess of techie things and RSS fees that need to be played with. So I just saw it as being like, this is so much fun. What a great way to connect with people. Um, it's, it's also, a phenomenal phenomenal way to actually speak to people like I, I was getting musicians on the show who who uh, you know were huge and I was getting to sit down and talk for an hour hour and a half with these people about their favorite subjects which is you know how they write songs um, the fact that I enjoyed it so much just kind of made sense to say hey maybe there's some other people out in the world who might want to do the same thing I, d I don't want to be a nosy parker but uh, may I ask which musicians did you interview Sure. No, no, no. Be a nosy Parker. The show's still live. Uh, you can check it out <laughs> at, at How to Write a Tune. Um, so we had, uh, man, grime artists, folk, rock, punk, metal, 
DMB, everyone mixes of the whole whole lot. Uh, we had a guy called Frank Turner on the show. We had the guy who sung um, "I'm Just a Teenage Dirtbag Baby." Oh, yeah. um, Brendan B. Burns is his name. Ben, ben, uh, Brendan B. Brown, sorry. Um, so we had him on the show. Uh, like I say, so many people. We did like 70, 80 episodes uh, where we just sat down with different musicians of different ilk and literally play people who were buskers or super famous touring musicians. Everyone had the same kind of chat, which is really interesting. Like people kind of come at songwriting in the same way. What was in, who was who was a guest that really stood out in terms of their intriguing story and that was highly entertaining, that really sort of struck a chord with you? Hmm. Tough to say, to be honest, because all st- that's the thing I like about podcasting. The thing I like about interviewing people in long-form conversations is it's always an interesting story. I've never met two humans with the same story, and that's always interesting to me. Um Musicians are an interesting group to focus on because as a rule, they've been through hardship to get to wherever they are. They're going through hardship. So there was, to be honest, there was just so many wow moments in the show. It's hard to pick on one. It must, it must be even more. In, I mean, what's it like now when you're interviewing musicians? Because like... <laughs> Yeah, so Had A Right Tune finished um, a couple of years ago now. Uh, basically, we were too busy running the business. And since then, we've started other podcasts, which are, uh, are more business and LinkedIn focused instead. Um, but yeah, it must be a nightmare. With I mean, to be honest, I imagine there's a lot that for if we were still running Had A Right Tune, I bet there's a whole bunch more guests available because uh, people are all available to talk like this. When we were doing it five years ago, we, was, we were using Zoom then. And people were a little bit like, oh, uh, hello, am I on? You know, doing all this kind of thing. Um, so I imagine it'd be quite easy to book guests, if I'm perfectly honest. That's the one thing I like about Zoom. I think I'll probably be using Zoom even when things return to normal for podcasts. Because oh, yeah. arranging like a studio and like meeting in a certain place, that there's so many things that could go wrong. could get stuck in traffic. The tube could be down. But if you just do it in Zoom, they just need Wi-Fi. <laughs> That is true. I mean, you have a lot of the problems with the person on the other side. What do they bring to the table? Do they have a good camera, a good microphone, lighting, stuff? Um, because, you know, we've seen a lot of podcasts that look like that the whole time. <laughs> um, and it's you know, very, very, you know, really easy to sit in a silhouette the whole time. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's really opened up the world. And I think as uh, an awful lot more people have now started to understand that this is a perfectly acceptable form of communication, it's going to make podcasting a lot easier. Just getting interviews with people an awful lot easier. However, there's still some magic to sitting down face to face. There's still something that's lost yeah. in the micro reactions that you see, body language, things which are just missed on Zoom, which make interviews so much easier. I'm I'm very ex- handsy. I'm expressive with my hands. That can really help it on a podcast when you're talking to someone because you can't necessarily always do like listening noises. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Ah. Hmm. Because it will stop people mid-sentence so being able to do a hand hand movement and be like oh yeah, yeah i get you oh really interesting tell me more and actually do subtle um psychological cues to keep people talking because the lovely thing that i, I always it happens on every show you'll see everyone realize at some point hang on have i been talking for ages there's a mic in front of me and then they usually finish that sentence with yeah but you know like and it kind of dies out. So being, you know, being a good host, being a good interviewer is all about just being able to wait for that moment and, and, and give them a little something which allows them to say, it's okay, you're still confident, I'm, I'm, you're, you carry on talking, you're in a, a safe space. Yeah, I, I feel I feel with the podcast, with the person you're interviewing, they should be doing most of the talking rather than you. Rather... 100%. But um, how you keep them talking, is quite an art because everyone at some point gets a little, you know, stage fright. Everyone gets a little that. So it's, it's just passing notes as we, you know, in music, it's like little passing notes, just help them when they realize all of a sudden that they're being interviewed and they kind of knock the conversation back to you across the table. You've got to be there with a quick fire. Oh really? Why? Pow! And then knock it back to them (laughs) so they can carry on with their bit of the sentence. You're making it sound like a boxy match. Like he throws the jab, you block it like this, then you throw a jab, overhand. A little bit, (laughs) like a a little bit. And you know, because you you, you literally have to be playing defense essentially to keep that person being active. So it can be because I think 
the, one of the things, there's been so many podcasts have started since, since March. Uh, there's literally tons. I can't, can't say how many, but we've had like influx of people being like, I want to start a show. I want to start a show. I want to start a show. And I think for that reason, it's, it's great that there are so many shows and that's really exciting, but there's a lot of people who think podcast interviewing is as simple as just like hit record, do it. And yeah, sure. It can be, but that also can end up with like some really, really awkward moments. So you got, mm-hmm. you have to remember it's an entertainment, right? You, you're, you're, you're not only having a conversation, but you're having a conversation for entertainment purposes. So it's the host's job to kind of get, or, you know, in my eye, when I'm, when I'm hosting, it's my job essentially to get someone who's interesting on the show and just give them the space, you know, just give them the space and make them feel like they're in a safe space to say what they need to say and not get kind of freaked out by the fact that they're, you know, you're live or you're being recorded or the slights and all kind of thing in your face. Okay. So that's an interesting point you brought up there. Cause there's two questions that I'd like to follow on from that. So there's one thing that I find interesting is that, yeah. Um, so when, when I interview comedians on the podcast, they tend to waffle anywhere. So what I've had to change it a bit where I've had to sort of say, this is where I want you to go. These are the things I want you to do and like put it around that because mm. otherwise it will go this way, that way, that way. And there's like whoever's listening and me as well. It's just going over where it's like having a talk in a park and you don't want that <laughs> talking. <laughs> no, I meant like, it's just like having a chat with your mates, but it's got to be, it is in a way. But I, I know what you mean. Like a, a chat in the park, like literally, because those conversations, there's a lot, there's a lot of value in them when I'm sat chatting with my mates in the park or, or wherever, or just, you know, chatting nonsense but this is an entertainment thing like if people if, if other people are going to spend time uh being involved in it then you got to kind of keep yeah and i know what you mean you get someone like a comedian on or like we used to have real chat musicians we used to have like yeah. musical comedy people on the show as well and you got to kind of corral them you got to be like all right all right whoa, whoa, whoa. how about we get vaguely back on on topic to some degree so people know what you're talking about you crazy person yeah and then then you have to bloody do all this editing around it and like oh and you have to be like boom <laughs> but it's a funny thing because i did a mc workshop with um barry ferns who runs angel comedy club one of the best comedy clubs in london and um he says like people at the top of the game they pay attention to the very small things and that's something i consider a bit of a weakness but i think it's something that does play a part so like by doing those little questions it helps steer each podcast to do a certain way i didn't know that before well and it's it's like you say if you use the boxing analogy you have to have different things in your arsenal during a conversation to keep it flowing naturally if that makes sense you gotta have a jab which is going to be a little passing note you know it's going to be a little like uh-huh oh really hmm yeah and that's going to allow people to know you're listening and they should carry on talking but you also have to be when someone gets to the end of what they're saying ready for that nice you know right cross when you have to change a subject or you have to come up with the next question or you know continue that on it's why um i've always been a huge fan of joe rogan because those conversations flow really really naturally for an awful long time however he is steering the whole thing wherever it leads it kind of leads organically but he's steering it i yeah, i like him it, the thing is one of the reasons i think why it works so well he's not just he never did the podcast just for the sake of it. he did it because he's interested in the person and he wants to find out about right. them and he wants to engage yeah. well sometimes when i see some podcasts they just do it for the sake of it hmm. and so, I mean, with the podcast, myself, when I started it, I was a bit all over the place. But then gradually, as I started producing, I started to figure out where I want it to go. And it's sure. getting to a place where I think I know where it wants to go, but it's getting there. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's what you're saying there. And um, yeah, so what you're saying there and also what we were saying that Joe Rogan's done is just allow the show to grow organically. And actually that's something across all content creation, right? So we do it for businesses, we do it for brands, people, whatever, all over the world. You have to let your content breathe, right? You are the reason you're creating it. And you can't just be a case of like, we have to release this video every Tuesday. If you haven't got something to say, or if it makes more sense that you're going to start releasing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then let it happen. Don't necessarily fight against the tide all the time with content because it's a brilliant 
being able to post content and actually speak to an audience is just phenomenal. You know, uh, you speak to movie actors who love the idea of theatre because they get an instant reaction from their crowd. Well, you have that if you're releasing any type of content, a blog, video, audio, anything. So use your audience to then inform you about the next thing you're going to make. Don't necessarily make a year's worth of content in January, but this is the message. And, you know, if we use 2020 as an example, if you'd done that, you'd be in real trouble come April because you'd still be talking about the normal messaging, whereas the rest of the world, you know, have a completely separate focus. Mm. So allow that, that comments, allow that interaction with people. And the same thing, you know, that, that they do on a stage when you, uh, like a comedian does, and you can feel the crowd talk and you can bounce back off of them. Content's actually the same thing. You have an instant reaction from an entire global network. If people aren't liking your stuff, change it. If people are liking it, but you don't like the kind of comments they're doing, then be less confrontational or, you know, look at what you're posting and how that's making that happen. Because you can do that, again, very much like in the microcosm of a comedy show, essentially you can get better. You can vibe off of that engagement from people and say, you know, my show wants to be this now. And that's okay. Like, it's okay for me to allow it to breathe and change. Yeah. It's because I've noticed that, I mean, there's going to be a question I want to ask later on about it because you've made a good point there, that I've seen a lot of podcasts and I think they... Yeah, there always has to be an aim in it and there has to be a message. And I feel going on to that, what do you feel are the key sort of five differences or a couple of differences between a podcast that is successful and growing and one that is not really doing anything? Good question. That is a good question. Okay, so, so five differences between um, successful podcasts and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> okay, in that case, what I would say is first and foremost is audio and video quality. Look at the audio you're capturing, what you have in the background, the lighting you have in your face, um, and also the guests as well. The really successful podcasts we work on will send equipment to guests who don't have it. I get that super expensive and not something everyone can do, but if you have the ability, there's a lot you can ask. You can have a 20 minute warm up call where you say to them cool can you make sure you're sat in the middle of the shot or can you make sure actually i've I've only got light behind you can you um you know put some lights on your face that would be the first so the the quality of the content coming in okay the second the second has to be consistency every successful podcast you know has been consistent and consistent for a very long time consistent means set a schedule right it doesn't necessarily mean a really high frequency of release. It doesn't necessarily, that would be point three. Um, so consistency can mean once a month. Now, if you're gonna release a podcast once a month, I would suggest having an awful lot of other content built around that, that you could post, you know, and also get phenomenal guests because you're only gonna have 12 interviews a year. Whereas if you're releasing weekly, you're in a lot better space to, to get better guests. So the third point would be the frequency. Um, shows which have more content do better, why? because they're out there more often. Joe Rogan, as an example, again, um, releases sometimes three to five shows a week. So also some weeks it's two. And I know what I was saying about consistency there seems to feel a little bit rocked, but every single week there is a show. There is a show. And if there won't be, they'll address it. So I know it's happening. And I know that in two weeks, there will be my show. So a high frequency of release uh, really does help because you're just getting out there everywhere. Unfortunately, for most shows when they're starting, that just isn't feasible. So don't kill yourself trying to release a show every day. Um, I had a guest on my, my show, The Jaylee Show, um, last week, who for a year released a podcast every day, an hour's show every day. Oh. In one year, he released 365 hours of podcasting. Oh. Oh. Right. And he's been podcasting for seven years now. That is an extremely old podcast because it's such a new market. Ooh. but and and at the end of that year what did he say i'm gonna go two a day i'm doing it twice a day i'm gonna do a morning show and an afternoon show right because this guy's a savage he's an absolute savage but he spoke to his audience and said what do you want and they actually said hey there's too many shows right i don't want you to go twice a day actually three a week would be awesome and that's what he's been doing since then um 
so be consistent and like i say the frequency really does count the more you have out there the more chance it is of capturing people also if you have an interview show the more interviews you have uh, means you have more guests and you have a chance to take some of their audience um, who find your content and keep them as your your audience as well so my fourth point would be guests there are some phenomenal shows out there that are monologues right there's absolutely some phenomenal shows they're usually as a rule, if they're successful, by people who are famous or already have a following. Because me talking into a camera, me talking into a mic, who am I? Right, very interesting if you know the person, very difficult to get off the ground if you don't. So a lot of the times, the way shows are successful and successful early on will be guests. So book great guests, book guests that are interesting, controversial, relevant to yourself, people that you would like to talk to. That's the real, real big point to say there. Anyone that you see out there that you want to talk to and you want to have a conversation and you think is interesting, you are the gatekeeper for the content you release. So make sure that you're into it. Don't do what we were talking about earlier, just podcast and podcast say. You can be like, yeah, I guess I'll have him on. Like, yeah, I guess I'll have her on. They're cool, whatever, right? Make sure you have people on that you're really interested in. But if you can get people with a larger following on whatever platform you're focusing on, be it Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever. So if you're able to do that, then what you'll get to do basically, so I had a little feedback for a second. Um, so if you find uh, guests who are big on those platforms, you're going to be able to then grow that platform. It's as simple as that. So focus on one platform, guests with large following on there and book them and book lots of them. The fifth point is listen to your audience. You need that engagement. You need that feedback. And that's what you see from all the great shows is that they spent a long time creating the audience to the point where that audience is willing to say, what about having this person on the guest, on the show as a guest? What about doing this? Oh, I love that bit when you two both did X, Y, or Z. That's where things get really, really interesting because then you can allow your audience to inform your content. And I can name tons and tons of very, very successful, shows that are nothing like when they started nothing like what at all when they started they've allowed themselves to grow and the way they've grown is by interaction with their audience so i guess that's my my, my top five okay and it's interesting that you point on to that what I, I i like joe rogan but and there are other podcasts that i'm more of a fan of than that particular podcast itself like i like louis howe's podcast more mm -hmm. i like uh what else do i like that's really interesting yeah louis howe i actually like mark maron's podcast a bit more it's a good show yeah, yeah. um and i like uh, one called trigonometry never heard of it it's a very sort of social uh, they, it's, it's a political po podcast where that they would be why yeah it's, it's probably better to avoid it but they they're, they're quite honest and frank and they interview things that people will be too scared to talk about and that's what i find quite interesting about it but i say my favorite podcast is probably louis howe's podcast because really? i think more geared towards that sometimes i feel with the joe rogan podcast it depends, it depends on who he has on so it's a very sort of i can pick it like a cat oh me too absolutely but some, yeah, sometimes it like he interviews a lot of the same guests sometimes. And that, that, you know, once you've seen them once. Yeah. I there's think, lots of recurring interviews. Um, yeah. There's, there's lots of recurring interviews, which are kind of great sometimes. And other times it's like, I've heard this story, but you know, when, when you get to kind of pick up on, on where things left off, I think for me at the moment, my absolute favorite podcast is fake doctors, real friends. It oh. is a phenomenal show. Great fun. Just solid, great fun. I don't know if you've heard of it at all. No, but I'll look at Fake Doctors. I'm going to write that Fake Doctors. Fake Doctors, Real Friends. So basically, wait, because you may not be into it. Um, it is Zach Braff and Donald Faison, who are JD and Turk, respectively, from Scrubs. Ooh. And they're doing an episode-by-episode watch-through of Scrubs. But the show, uh, Scrubs is about a 27 minute or 30 minute show. The podcast runs hour, hour and a half. They have guests on like showrunners, the directors, other actors who talk about that specific episode. And essentially what's, what's great about it is it's two good friends. 
It's two great friends having a conversation about when they became friends 20 years ago. Um, and it's just so much fun, especially during COVID. It's been a great show to listen to, to uh, really, really enjoy kind of like um, uh, uh, their, their relationship, but also go back into nostalgia view and be able to go through Scrubs as a podcast. So I think they've managed to, it's a brilliant example of a podcast because as time's gone on, they've now got more segments, different parts are happening. They have to do this. They have to do that. They have gags that are running. The audience are doing the same thing. They now have uh, t-shirts and cups and merch um, and ringtones based upon little bits that they will sing in the show just to make each other laugh. And that's really what I love about podcasting is it's a view into people's uh, how people communicate and if that relationship is great if that uh, um, you know is is a really interesting dynamic then that's the kind of shows that, that really light my fire hmm. something yeah okay so where so what wins it for you is that you obviously like scrubs <laughs> uh, but the camaraderie between two of them and there's a lot of the, the real sort of community around it but that's that's what yes yeah very much so. I've also always been a uh, huge fan of like TV and how TV's put together. And there's some wonderful little insights into how a 20 episode episodic comedy is written and produced and put together and cast and what happens in in the uh, the meantime, what happens when, when advertising happens and networks change. And I really love all that kind of like uh, behind the scenes bits because I just find them so interesting. Because, yeah, it's, and what, how has, um, what, what elements, because you, you started off a podcaster, but what elements of podcasting has enabled you to advise people in the content creation in other aspects like TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or all those other platforms? Sure. And I think a lot of it came, came essentially from our, um, so when we started the business, essentially most of the, most of the clients we found initially were based in the US and um, we still work with probably 80% of our podcast businesses, brands and businesses over in the US. However, in the UK, when we were uh, found business, it tended to be real big innovators uh, and huge agencies, huge companies. So we're involved in very, very big projects in just one little piece. Based upon that, we were able to say, you know, we, from the experience Tony and myself have had throughout business, he worked at Microsoft in um, gaming, but uh, he wasn't testing. Um, so for about a decade uh, and was helping awful lot of stuff work there. And I, I worked in high-end IT sales for, for well, longer than I, I care to remember. So from an experience we had, we knew about what needed to be sell, sold. I was very much always worked on the sales side of things, whereas Tony always worked on the tech side of things. Neither of us had seen marketing that really spoke to either of us because it would either be far too in, in depth for uh, salespeople to understand we wouldn't care or that same stuff would be really really light on information for techie people so what we saw was is that if that's the people that you're trying to a lot of the time speak to is these this person in the business and that person in the business what are the best ways to get get around it and that is essentially to get yourself across you are your unique selling point Right. You know, that is the same for every business. That's why they employ salespeople and not sales robots, because they want this person to go and take out their message, not just the message be released. <laughs> what we found from working with more and more businesses was we a try everything ourselves. So we always eat our own dog food. We will try and test something for two to three months minimum before we start rolling it out to companies. And that's all through our own social media. As we started to release more video, we started to suggest the same for clients. We also um, leaned a lot into uh, actually on-site shoots. So we've you know, uh, done many, many, many large-scale large shoots where we film everything and cameras and staff and directors, producers, whatever. And that's a lot of fun. And we've always enjoyed that side of things. So we wanted to move to more towards the video as well as podcasting. And then at the same point, marketing kind of caught up. And uh, luckily, we were really leaning into the right thing. And content marketing became kind of the hot new buzzword. And it's something we've been doing for an awful long time now. 
God, it must be. It must have been like you've reached a good point, but it must have been a lot of tussles and a lot of like a lot, a lot of stories in between. Like he would say, "No, mate, it's got to be really this," and you're like, "No, but they got to understand it." And there must have been quite a few butt heads in between. Yeah, there's a lot of educating the market, and this and there still is, if I'm honest. Um, tons of times. Very recently, I, I was talking to a uh, a marketing director who was deaf desperate they had no content at all they had nothing really on the company but they were desperate for his company and i just kept saying no one cares no one cares about your company that much that they're going to watch a 30 minute documentary i don't necessarily watch every episode of shows i enjoy right i'm not going to watch something that's corporate and boring and your story isn't that fantastical that anyone's going to care however if you took that same money and you created 31 minute videos you're gonna actually get enough messaging out there that you're gonna be able to drop something that does that does land in front of people and they do care about because you're going to be able to say all the different ways that you tackle things and that is such a hard conversation to have because that was like 30 or 40 grand worth of money they had on the table and they were like please make me a documentary and i'm sat there being like no you mustn't make a documentary what you have what you need is but one of the things we've always done, I'm trying to make sure that we do here at GL Pro, is um, we can't help, we don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll be the first people to walk away. And if I don't think that what you're trying to achieve would help you, then I'll let someone else do it. I'm gonna voice my concerns and, and do that. So yeah, there's been an awful lot of those conversations over the, uh, the course of the business because a lot of time we've been kind of a little bit ahead of the curve, I guess, in this idea of content marketing and content creation. So we've been educating the market an awful lot about what is and isn't a good idea. With your industry as a whole, how do you, this is just a little tip that I want to ask for, is what, how do you balance sort of authenticity with sort of, if, yeah, how do you, with successful sales? Because I've seen sometimes with sales, like they try and swindle on your dream and like it comes across <laughs> as very sort of like wishy-washy, this and that. And it's a bit, come on, you're not convincing anyone. You wouldn't even no. be able to convince my dog. Exactly. And I think the answer is, you know, if you're asking what i do you know what's better for, for, for marketing and to kind of bring in business, is it to be authentic or to sell? The, the answer isn't and or, the answer is be authentic and don't sell, right? And that's kind of the problem. And that's the conversation that I get in trouble with people a lot of having that conversation, having that when you're talking to say sales directors, they're like, so we're not gonna sell. What's the point? The answer is if you're posting on something like say LinkedIn, everybody's there for business. Everybody knows that you are selling something. I don't need to hear, hey, $9.99, you can buy my stuff and it'll be super good. I don't need to see that. Everyone's an informed buyer now, right? It goes back to what we were saying earlier about what is the unique selling point of any business. You, you are. So pushing out that and being authentic. And actually what we see is that the content that gets the best engagement and really gets the most likes and the most comments are things which aren't anything to do with the business still to, you know for instance if it's linkedin still has a business feel or a business message or a business anecdote but it's personal personal to you what you're going through that's what connects with people and ultimately i think the thing which a lot of sales directors forget is the fact that connecting people is why you have salespeople, right if you want them to connect with you and your brand they will but you can't make as many phone calls as you can get views or listens on a podcast or views on a video you just can't do it what you can do is put that messaging out there and allow people to say like, Oh, okay. I also had a bad Monday follow. And then as you're talking about yourself, naturally you're going to be talking about some of the things you do. I'm on the show and I've mentioned that we, we do podcast production a bunch of times because that's what I do all day. Um, it's just natural for it to be out there. So every time I'm creating content, it has some of the messaging in there, but we don't have to be like buy my service. It's really great because I can find you or your competitor or the thousand other people which offer whatever you do online. So why would I want to work with you? Because you've come and spoken to me in some way as a person and been authentic. And 
it's so effectively what, what's got in my head from what you said here and pardon the analogy but it's a bit like um it's a bit like i don't know pursuing someone that you're attracted to and having a good relationship that lasts in a way yeah i agree absolutely i mean all business uh, i always relate to uh, in some way uh, relationships because there is no difference um it's incredibly important. I'd prefer to find someone that we can work with for the next five years um, who will ultimately potentially spend more money than someone who's going to spend a huge deal tomorrow and never work with us again. We'll be better at working with someone over time. Of course, they'll be better at working with us. They'll know how we work, our ebbs and flows, our mechanics. We'll understand the brand more. You know, it's, it's, it's always nicer to work with people for an elongated period of time um just for the simple fact is you get to make sure that you're tweaking those things and getting everything perfect and perfect and actually optimizing content as opposed to just delivering on briefs okay what what being on the thing is though with honesty i find it can be um it can be a tricky subject area in performing arts when i work with other people it can be tricky because you you've like they i'm not being gordon ramsay and like trying to like boom 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 i'm try. i often try and be honest but even if you're being nice in a nice sort of docile way people sometimes they go boom and they go for you and how do you sort of deal with that when you're being honest and authentic and well people not biting your head off uh, yeah but you can be honest and authentic without um presenting it in an antagonistic way not something i've always been fantastic at myself however um certainly something you can learn and you know we, we went from two guys in a shed um to five guys in a shed in eight months we then moved into the two floors of offices um, outgrew that and have recently moved into to a, a big old office just around the corner. The company is growing with that. All of a sudden, I've had lots of employees, lots of you know different minds, and everyone's a hero to their own story. And I guess that's mostly the way that I find that you can, when you can get across how you feel, but not have it you know, and taken badly, is when you can remember that everyone else is the hero of uh, of their own everything, right? They only see it from the you know from their first person view. So I get where you're coming from. I love, I love what you just did. I'm not feeling it's quite right for where I'm going for. That's usually the hardest time to really choose your language, but understanding that those times when you, you, know, you really have something you want to get across, uh, you're not happy maybe with how things have turned out, you feel passionately about how it should be done. Those are the times to take like 11 steps back and just think about how you're going to present the situation. Because if you don't, you're just going to waste your time. You're just going to end up working hard to fix the problem you've caused or has been ah, caused, yes, yes. Be, you know, and then that's going to frustrate you more. Ultimately, you're now going to be twice as much time down the road where you have to go back and be like, so what I was trying to say well, is, can we do it <laughs> one more time, but a bit like this, you know, but you've just, but at this point, you, you might not even care about that change. You might have lost the passion for it. And that's a shame because that's how, that's how greatness happens when someone really, really cares and is able to put it across. I think I've had to learn so, it's my, my, my learning curve has been really hard. I'm very quick to react. I've got a real sharp temper. Um, I like things to be perfect for our clients. Within what we can do, I want it to be perfect. I don't want to see mistakes. Like I just want things looked at four or five times. However, mistakes happen all the time clients don't give the brief that they really want um we don't have exactly what we need so we deliver you know what do you think and they hate it happens right it's just is what it is how you're able to react with it and more importantly how you're able to react to your team's view so they're still able to be as efficient as you need them to be that's what helps me go oh, uh, okay <laughs> what i think is right i take those steps back because i look at my clock and be like oh i hate this design or ah i really hate that part of the video okay but do i have 45 minutes to upset that person and then another 45 to kind of like make good and then get back to this or should i just go and sit on it for like an hour and then come back and be like hey 
hey, hey, you know, I've been thinking about it. And what do you think about this? Right? Because I'm uh, sort of feeling a bit uh, like this. What do uh, you think about it? But mostly it's your reaction. It's how you have reacted. And even though you don't know, but your face or the thing or the body language or your tone, you don't even realize you're doing it because you're passionate. That's fine. I think that's absolutely fine. It's okay to be passionate and care. And people should know that you're that kind of person. But if every time something goes wrong, they're going to get a scowly like, oh man, we had Jesus. No, no. They're not going to tell you when those problems are happening. And that's the worst thing possible. But more importantly, every time you go to change something, it's going to become world championship, heavyweight fight for a world. When instead, if you just take a moment, get, take yourself out of the situation, come back an hour later, two days later, a week later, whatever the, the deadline or you know whatever the work says that you can do, come back and just be like, it's, I, I, all this time, all this time since you last said it. And I said, yeah, that's cool, but let me think about it. I've been, I've been mulling this over and I'm thinking this, but you tell me, like, let's have a conversation about that now. Now I'm, I'm saying it there, we, we're both in the same place and you're giving yourself the, the space basically for someone else to be like, oh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to think about it. Um. Hmm, maybe I am wrong. Okay, great. What's your idea? No, I still hate it. Okay, cool. And then you can go to the bats and, and try and get things done. Right? Uh, sometimes you have to put your foot down if you are in charge, but hopefully you surround yourself by brilliant people and get out of their way. Yeah. Do, do, you, do, you, do you put a punch bag in there to let it out? <laughs> or like, I, absolutely had, I absolutely had a punch bag in the office for two and a half years. <laughs> that's good that's good i did i i literally take took uh when we moved from from the shed environment that we were in for one hot summer into um into gl towers as we affectionately call it i took our whole room and a whole space um and set up a gym there and at the end of every day i would go and deadlift as heavy as i possibly could and hit the bag as much as i could i used to have an mma uh fighter uh, a semi-professional fighter who'd come and train me in that little office running up and down the stairs and I had a punch so I never didn't break my wrist or my, break my hands but yeah I, 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 I've really had to work hard to find avenues to um, release my natural pissed offness um, just you know I, and that way I, I feel a lot like ah oh, I'm not as quick to react on things. I'm not as aggressive with it. I've let out aggression. I hit the gym in the mornings. And if I'm honest, it's one of the hardest things since lockdown is that I'm not going to the gym and I miss that just kind of focus on me and picking things up and putting them down and having to put some might and power into something for an hour and then coming into work like, hey guys, how's everyone doing? You know? <laughs> and, uh, there are no problems once you've got rid of all of that. Uh yeah, that's that's the thing. But I think that's what makes a lot of people successful. People who are successful, there's a bit of the anger or that drive in them, which a lot of people don't have. They they just have that. They don't know, they don't know where it comes from, but people have that for their sure. Some... And I think drive, yes, anger, no. There aren't a lot of angry, successful people anymore. There aren't. There's still the legacy of people like Roger Ailes and who started Fox News and the Donald Trumps out there in the world, but angry doesn't really work for management ever. Um, and I'm saying that from someone who's learned that over the last five years. It just never is, no matter how passionately you care about that thing, being angry about it is not ever the right response. Um, I say ever, uh, with the people you work with and with the things you're trying to achieve. If something drastic happens, sure, you can be angry about something you know, horrendous happening. But the people you work with shouldn't be around someone who's angry about something. Being passionate, being driven, caring more than everyone else. Hell yeah, that's what successful people do. But communication is yeah. key because you can't do it on your own. There's but no way you can end up to any of your heroes uh, lofty lofty success without other people around you and them being afraid i guarantee is never the most efficient way of them working so you're never as successful as you could be yeah i'm not the point i think effectively well successful people i think they've already achieved what they wanted they've they've they have they have that they're happy and 
let me rephrase what I'm getting at. I think they they don't have the hang-ups of someone who's working a job they hate effectively. So they don't have the... Yeah, I understand. But I mean, that says, is, is success money? Or, you know, what is success? Um, because we've made um, an awful lot of money in the past. Um, would I say it was successful? Not yet. Why? Because my ideas of success keep moving. My goalposts keep moving as I see the future and see what's possible. Um, will be a success when I don't have to work in the business every day. That's, that's my line of success. But, you know, when people look at us, we've got 10 people, we work all over the world. It's a successful business. We make profit every year. It's a successful business. So it's driving those lines of success. And I think for me, what I'm looking for is unprecedented success in whatever we can do, right? And the best success that we can do. And as we keep growing, that changes, right? Our focus changes and what we want yeah. to do change. Like I say, when, when I get to walk away from the business, then that, that's, that's my benchmark of what I'm, I'm now a successful business owner. What, what was the, I want to get at now. Um, what, yeah. How do you, how do you balance sort of family and relationships when you're working? That's, I think that that's what I find a difficult thing. Sure. Uh, I've surrounded myself by really good family and really good relationships. Um, I met my wife nine, maybe 10 years, no, nine. She'll probably shout from the other room. We're both working from home today. Um, I met my, my wife about nine years ago and I wasn't as uh, driven or successful or uh, trying to be as driven and successful as I could be. And uh, meeting her changed that. Not, and this is also the most frugal woman on the world. She doesn't want anything expensive. I couldn't buy her an expensive wedding dress. We couldn't do that. She's not into that. But I want to impress my wife. I want to impress Louise. I want, I've always wanted to do better ever since meeting her. I think I'm punching above my weight and I want her to be like, wow, he is pretty cool at some point, right? So for me, and, and, and I have phenomenal support at home. So um, when, before we started the business five years ago, I was working in high-end IT sales, like I was saying, and it was good. The money was phenomenal. Um, I just didn't love what I was doing. I just didn't love it. I didn't love the environment. I didn't love like what I was selling. I didn't really care or ever understand it or ever know what it was. And the first month that I'd made essentially what's going to be six figure, a six figure role for the year, you know, I paid more tax in that month than I'd ever paid than that. Actually, I was paid in my first year of the job. I turned around to my wife and was like, so can I go work in a shed? <laughs> Can I go work in a shed with my friend Tony and do this podcast thing? And she's amazing. Like she was like, yeah, absolutely. You need to go and do that. You have to go and do that. Like you're not happy with what you're doing. It doesn't matter about the money. We can deal with things. We can sort it out. Thankfully she's got a phenomenal job and we were able to say, you know, you keep working and I'll do the best I can. And thankfully the best I can turned into something very, very quickly. And we were never in a, a position, but she gave me the ultimate support to be like, yeah, cool. You know, we're in this together, but I'm with you. Let's try this. And off the back of that, we have, you know, like I say, started this entire company um, and, you know, managed to have a, a whole lot of good times. My friend group is very small. I don't have a huge lot of friends, but I think that's just something that you say in 35. You know, I've got, I've got 10 great friends who I call and message all the time. There's not a whole lot of periphery people around there. Um, but that's great because I've got my friends, their family to me. Most of them are business owners now. Uh, in fact, I think only one isn't a business owner now. Everyone else either owns a business or runs a business or founded a business. <laughs> so everyone goes through the same thing. And that work-life balance is, uh. it's, it, it's tough, it's hard, but it's, you know, thankfully, if I say to my friends at nine o'clock, I can't do something because I'm working, they're like, cool, no worries. Take it easy. See you next time. Whereas I know a lot of people out there will be like, ah, you're always working, come out, forget about it and not support your journey. So I think I'm very lucky at having that support from friends and family about the work-life balance. The hardest thing is really just learning when to switch off, when to, when to, hit the, when to just hit off, done, I'm finished. Um, and for me, that's the weekend. I, I stop working at six or seven, eight o'clock on Friday and I don't work again until Monday morning. 
that gives me the time to go, ha, ah, and to talk to my wife and spend time with her and really focus and not spend time with her like this with a phone right at my nose being like, yes, I love you. And then back to work. <laughs> That's not what I'm working for, you know? That's not what I'm interested in. I, I hate people. When you see a couple at, at the restaurant and one of them sat on their phones, I hate that. That is the rudest thing you can do. Why go out with someone else? I don't care who it is, your mum, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, whatever you want. Spend time with people. Spend time directly with people, focusing on them. Don't be like, huh, did you? Or, hey, have you seen this? Like, that's not necessarily engaging with people. There's so much to be had for the interaction. I think, you know, the same needs to be said in a relationship and the same needs to be said in business. Spend, focus your time so you can say, I'm going to spend time with you, working directly with you on this, if it's your wet relationship or your business or your friends. But then, you know, once you break that time off and say that is time for that, don't do the other thing. Don't dilute it. Do something well. Don't do it half-heartedly. So you're, you're very picky about your, what you're letting around you and with people that are in your circle, you're dedicated to them. And the thing, thing I want to get at is must have been hard and difficult to build this sort of circle you have now and must have taken time. Well, like I said, I was a very angry guy for a long time. Not really. I managed to ding, 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 get rid of kind of people around me who didn't want to hang out with uh, how, 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 how positive I can be with time or how uh, snappy and passionate I can be about other things. So for me, this is the same group of friends which I met at 16, 17. These are the same people. We've all grown up together. Uh, they've always been my friends. I've got a bunch of other people that are great friends. Um, but even within the business we work in, we've employed people we know some of the time. We've got some great friends where, uh, you know, our head of our, our, our operations manager now started working for me in his second bar job back when he was 18 and I was like 24 running bars or something, you know? It's great having that long-term relationship with people. And it's great to meet new people. Obviously, this last year has been a little bit difficult with that, but... I just, I, I'm lucky to have had such a great group of friends around me for so long. And did you find it difficult at first to remove people from your circle? No, not really. Um, I'm, very, I'm very pragmatic with that kind of thing. If you don't like it, goodbye. Let's, let's, let's not, you know, let's not waste each other's time. I'm in or I'm not. If you're, if you're a great friend of mine, I'm there for you until, you know, I'll lay in traffic for you. If you're not, then I'll see you next time for a beer. I don't need to contact you that often. And what I've found over years and years is that if you don't keep in contact with people, you lose contact with people. So uh, for me, it's, it's, it's not that difficult. You've got a bunch of people I speak to, you know, a lot on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and such that I know. But, but I've just got, I'm very lucky to be able to say that I've got 10, 12, really close friends family brothers and sisters um who you know i can do anything for them will do anything for me hmm. and what do you think makes other people perhaps not be in the position of being able to choose what because a lot of people they they get in the sort of situation where they're people they they don't necessarily like or respect but they're stuck with them they get stuck in ruts and yeah you're never stuck in a rut you just haven't decided to leave yet you know, move, get yourself out, keep moving. Like if, if you don't like something, change it. Um, my mum has always said to me, moan as much as you want, but at the end of that moan, I'm going to ask you what you're going to do. So like, you know, moan, cry. Oh, no, it's all too much, mum. I can't do it. Like, you know, I just can't do it. No one understands. Great. <laughs> at the end of it, she's going to always ask me, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to fix this? You're not just going to let this go on till tomorrow, are you? So for that reason, I think, you know, it's, you should treat yourself the same. Don't let yourself get into bad situations. Don't allow other people to put, you know, to bring you down or, or stop you from achieving your goals. And if they are, you don't need to talk to them. You don't need to talk to people. You don't need to be around people. Move house, move countries, move wherever you need to move. Stop going to that Facebook group. Stop going online, like unfollow people. It's very, very easy. Now it's just click, click, click. I don't even have to stop going to the same pub anymore. I can just unfollow, <laughs> unfollow, right? Um, but that's how it used to be back in the day. Geez, I've fallen in with a bad crowd. I don't want to see them no, no more. I won't go to that pub anymore. 
I'm going to start going to this bar or I'm going to start going here. I might start not to stop going to bars and you just start seeing people. I, I never agree that you're stuck in a situation. You are either trying to get out of a situation or not. Okay. And what do you, th yeah, there's a lot of, what's, um, what do you think of, yeah, there's, you're very boom, boom, boom. You're very, what if you don't like it, son? Boom. <laughs> yeah, because this is who I am and I'm always going to be like this. So why waste your time? I don't want to waste someone's time upsetting them. I'm not out, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not opinionated to upset people. I specifically don't want to upset anyone. I just have my opinions and have things that I want to achieve and if I try and make everyone happy doing that, especially people on the periphery who aren't helping me achieve those goals, I won't, I will not succeed. And for me, unfortunately, I've had to give up a lot of the, you know, frivolous, wonderful um, uh, rights that people have, like my opinion. It's not my opinion anymore. My opinion is the opinion of 10 people. I've got mortgages that people, you know, people pay mortgages, rent, food because of the business we employ. I can't go out there and do X, Y, and Z, waste uh, time doing that because uh, I need to make sure that jobs are kept. Yeah. You've, you've got other people. It's not only just your, your missus and you that you've got to take care of. And okay. And you've, you've sort of fostered like a family sort of environment where in your, in your work as well. To a degree, absolutely. And even, even if it's not the family side of things, I think it's my responsibility as a business owner. My responsibility as a business owner is saying, hey, do you want to come and work here and do this thing I like? Um, uh, if you do that, then I will reward you with this money thing every month. And if you continue to be good at it, you will have security in that job for as long as uh, you know I have this job. <coughs> Excuse me. So... Uh, for that reason, does that mean that I can necessarily be myself all the time? No, of course, of course I can't. Does that mean I can always choose my opinion? No, greater good. I have to think of the greater good. Who cares about my rent? There's 10 other rents that are just as important. All those people are heroes of their story too, right? All of those people are fighting the good fight. I got this great job doing something for these crazy guys. You know, that's their role. They're killing it. Uh, my, my job is to make sure that that's still there tomorrow, make sure that that's still there in a year, 10 years, right? And that all those people who do phenomenally are paid more money and there's more support for them as time goes on. So I can't necessarily, I have to be boom, 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 boom. I have to be the decision maker. I have to make sure that I'm getting stuff done because if not, the business will winder and die. The, the, the jobs won't be there. We won't be in a situation now where everyone that are working with us is still with us after you know post covid we've still got everyone here that we need and you know it's still killing it for us and we've been able to provide those jobs if if we don't have specific targets specific goals specific achievements that we want to make then we'll just be like maybe we make more money this month or i don't know maybe not and then all of a sudden we won't be paying wages and we won't have rent and we won't have a nice offices and and everything will fall to pieces uh yeah it's been it's been good to talk to you a lot of like lovely points that i'd love to share with a lot of people and um what's what are sort of what what is sort of advice you give to younger self and what is a quote that you'd like to live your life by nice uh so advice i'd give myself nah I don't want to give myself any advice. I've really enjoyed this journey. I've had a whole lot of fun. I've made a bunch of mistakes. I didn't start doing what I'm doing and really focusing on sales and getting involved until a decade ago. And I'm 36 now. So I was well into my mid twenties before I really pulled my act together. I run bars. I had fun. I lived in Spain. I did this. I, I think if I, I'd go back and tell myself, just keep having fun. Just keep, keep your eye on the prize. Keep doing what you're doing and you'll find yourself in the right place. As far as a quote, uh, is this an explicit podcast? Yes. Sweet, because I haven't sworn yet. That's good times. Okay. In that case, uh, my favorite quote is, um, uh, you're, you made this motherfucker, right? You made this motherfucker. I made the person I am today. <laughs> no one else made it. No one fucked around with me at all. 
it's it's I chose to make this person and I'm gonna to choose to make the person that's even better than him tomorrow. Yeah, that's a fantastic little quote. <laughs> that should be a meme. <laughs> you made this motherfucker. Indeed, we might have to get Samuel Jackson to uh, to come in and say it. He's kind of coined the word. <laughs> yeah, I do remember his snakes saying and snakes in the plane. <laughs> the height, the height of being able to just drop two words and make a movie around the back of it. <laughs> yeah. He is. A, I, I like him as well, but I pref- I'm, he's an awesome man. Absolutely. Absolutely, and a phenomenal actor, and one of the most prolific actors of all time. Uh, you can, he's been in everything. Yeah, he's, he's a beast. <laughs> um, one thing I want to say is, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Not really. Like I say, we don't, have, we don't sell. We don't need to. People can come, come find us if they're looking for support in content creation. Then come and find GL Pro UK. We're on all the platforms that we're on. If you can't find us, then we're not on there. Um, if you want to come find me and talk to me, more than happy to talk about anything, as you can tell today with Marvin. I haven't shut up, so I'm much like that on social too. So feel free to catch me. And I'm Jay Ludgrove everywhere. It's J-A-Y-L-U-D-G-R-O-V-E. Everywhere. If you can't find me on the platform, I'm not there. So you hear that? Viewers back home, listen up. If you want to contact this man, you know where to go. <laughs> well. It's been a pleasure talking to you and yeah, just best wishes during this pandemic and take care. You too, bud. I'm going to take a shot you there and say, take it easy. See ya. <laughs>